You are listening to Special Features, the only podcast on the internet that dares to discuss popular culture and films and music and um, bullshit. Mainly bullshit. <laughs> mainly. I'd say we mainly discuss bullshit on this show. Um, and ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> My name is Cameron James, and I'm sitting with Alexi Teleopolis, the king of bullshit himself. Hey, man, don't abs- bullshit a bullshitter. Dude, you're a bullshit artist. Absolutely. I get my bullshit and I certainly have a unique way with it. The bullshit <laughs> artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> now that is awesome. That's, that's, a good, a, that's a character. I think that's also a great example of bullshit. Like what? what, yeah. what it was funny. It was weird. <laughs> and it was completely culturally worthless. It was great. Exactly. It had no cultural cachet. It added nothing <laughs> to the conversation. <laughs> but it would be a good character. And then eventually it could become culture. Like if we were around, my, I reckon you and I were born at the wrong time. I think Absolutely. you and I, I really- I said it every day. I said it every day. We really would have <laughs> thrived if we were born in uh, like the late, whatever era it would have been. We must have been, have to have been born in the mm-hmm. 70s in New York yes. in order for us to then be writers and performers on SNL in the 90s. And I think yeah, if absolutely. we were writers on SNL in the <laughs> 1990s, the bullshit artist formerly known as Prince would have been a great character. Absolutely. Rob Schneider would have been killing it as that character. He would have been a marvellous version of the bullshit artist formerly known as Prince. Oh, my God. Catan? Oh, Catan would be fantastic. Catan would be great. And Cameron, might I say, if we were born in that era, we might be contemporaries with some of our heroes, including the man of the hour. We are here to talk about part two, the second phase, the second era of Kevin Smith. We still need to talk about Kevin. We still need to talk about Kevin. Of course, we had episode one, A New Hope, and Mm -hmm. this is, what's the next one? Empire Strikes Back. This is Empire. This is absolutely Empire Strikes Back. This is... We are talking about, like, this kind of phase. It's almost just four movies, I think, where Kevin graduates from being an independent indie film darling, a bit of a comedy auteur, speaking directly to a subset of the culture. By that subset, I mean guys that love comic books and going to the video store and have big baggy jeans, stuff like that. And now he is attempting to be somewhat of like, I don't know, would you say maybe not quite a comedy studio comedy filmmaker, but I guess like a mainstream f- comedy filmmaker. Yeah, I think a mainstream comedy filmmaker. I think uh, the first film that he does in this phase, so this is after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which was mm-hmm. in many ways wrapping up the Viewersk universe. That was mm-hmm. the end of phase one of his career. Phase two begins a few years later in 2004 with Jersey Girl. This is like a sort of Mm. John Hughes-esque, sort of like sweet, being attempted like a James L. Brooks or something. Like it's his version of I'm doing a nice sort of adult drama that deals with some heavier themes than I have in the past. I think that's a really interesting way to put it because I think I remember, because this is probably the era where I'm getting into Kevin Smith. It's like this kind of uh, 
teenage years for me, but I'm going back to his earlier films, not just starting here. But these are the films that are coming out when I'm fully a Kevin Smith fanatic. And Jersey Girl, I remember him pretty much suggesting that it was almost his Annie Hall, where it's like a bit of a graduation from his sillier, grubby affair, but a little bit more of a mature filmmaker making it. And I think your James L. Brooks call is really good because it's quite sentimental and all of his films are sentimentalist. Like they are, they're really sentimental. They're really sincere films. But there's something about Jersey Girl where, I don't know, how would you describe it? It's been a long time since I've seen it, to be fair. But I think, I think it copped a harsher critical attack than it deserves. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, whenever people talk about it, it's largely a punchline. It goes along with Geely as like the one-two punch that kind of kicked off the Ben Affleck slump, the mid-career mm-hmm. slump. And it definitely it was the beginning of the end of Kev's mainstream filmmaking career. I think it's like kind of nice. It's like an adult contemporary drama. Like maybe, you know who's another good reference point? Cameron Crowe. It's like yes. one of those types of films, you know, about a dude who's in his 30s and he's going through a dilemma and he has a family and he has to, like, merge his career goals with his family goals and he's mourning the death of his wife or some shit. Like, there's some heavy mm. stuff going on in it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting with that respect because it is, like, going for heavier stuff. It is, like, uh, Ben Affleck... He is getting, he's like a music executive getting married to Jennifer Lopez. They have a little baby. They're about to, which is about to give birth to a baby. Um, and then she dies in childbirth and he becomes a single father, moves back home to Jersey with his dad, played by the wonderful comedian. Mm, George Carlin? George Carlin, yes. Mm. The pause in my hesitation was, I completely forgot who it was. I remember it was a comedian <laughs> of notes. I was like, but who is it? Who is it? Who else would it be? George Carlin has been in like yeah. five Kevin movies. Who else was it going to be? I think I was going to say Dustin Hoffman as Lenny Bruce. <laughs> but uh, one thing that I think is really interesting about this movie to note, of course... Kev's in the Weinstein uh, company. Like, he works with the Weinsteins. Uh, You know, we have to say it. He was working with them at the time. They were producing his movies. And the Weinsteins were really pushing him to elevate with this one. Like, I think they thought that this was his chance to move up to be... Have a little bit more of a modern prestige to his name. As the first time he works with a different cinematographer, his usual guy is shoved out in favor for Vilmos Zygmunt. Do you know Vilmos Zygmunt? No, what's he shot? Oh, he shot a few movies such as Close Encounters of a Third Kind, Deliverance, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, The Long Goodbye, Heaven's Gate, Blow Out, The Witches of Eastwick, uh, many of the best-looking movies of all time. <laughs> he is probably known as one of the very great cinematographers. And so it's very interesting that they make a concerted effort with Kev to just be like, hey, you've got the directing. You can direct actors quite well. You've got great writing. You've got this kind of real specific voice, a specific dialogue that you have. But we have to up your game in the one department that you lack completely. We're going to put you with one of the great masters 
forces of light and vision. And this movie is considerably better looking than anything else he's ever made. But I'm like I rewatched Jersey Girl. I really quite liked it. I think it's quite sweet it is kind of hard to compute that this is a Vilmos Zygmunt movie with Kev like that's kind of crazy but I would even say like I don't even know if it elevates it beyond any kind of other forgettable comedy weepy movie that you will just see coming out like I don't know Raising Helen like what are the other kind of movies in this genre that come out in 2005 yeah uh, uh, when was um <clears throat> was Elizabeth Town around that time as well that's the other Cameron Crowe joint oh, that yeah. uh, kind of tanked as yeah. well it's sort of like the we're approaching a time where uh, the uh, like arrested development lead male character <laughs> and I'm not talking about Jason Bateman mm-hmm. I'm talking about <laughs> A guy who is a guy who's stuck and needs to grow. Um, that mm-hmm. is sort of falling out of vogue in the kind of style that Cameron Crowe does, and beginning to be taken over by Judd Apatow, which it, who brings a sort mm-hmm. of dirtiness or like um, stoner humor or. Um, mm. I don't know, younger, like a younger, cooler approach by having people like Seth Rogen and Jason Siegel and stuff like that in it. Um, and unfortunately for Kev and for Ben Affleck, who, who, you know, maybe if they made this movie five years earlier, it could have been, it could have been great, you know? It could have been that transitional yeah. film to get him into the next league. And I think you hit on the most prescient point of this era of Kevin Smith is Kevin Smith really kickstarts in the 1990s this kind of mode of comedy that I would call gross-out sentimental, where it is sentimental, but there's a the, the, the voice of comedy come through it is a bit grubby, it's a little bit dirty, it's got those elements of gross-out, and he finds some kind of harmony. But at this time... Judd Apatow has also got those two elements, combining them together, uh, but also this added third element of improvised comedy, which is the opposite of Kevin's very rote dialogue. And I think that he finds that balance or connects that balance to the audience really, really successfully. So Kevin, Kevin's films feel like this year it's almost trying to catch up to that new wave mm. of improvised gross-out sentimental humor. Yeah, it's so true, you know, because, like, when when there's an actor that can tap into Kev's writing style, it's pretty great. And I think Affleck is one of the guys that can do it, you know, because he's done it so much since he was a kid, basically. He's gr- Affleck is great in Chasing Amy. We've already talked about that. Mm-hmm. And, Amazing. Uh, He's like he's good in he's good in dogma. He's good in everything that he does with Kevin. But I think the thing, yeah, you're right. Judd brings like the cool factor, which comes from improvised riffy comedy. But also, mm-hmm. um, Judd comes from a history uh, of television writing, and mm. his chops are just a bit fucking sharper than Kev's. I think, unfortunately, even though mm. by this point Judd has not made a feature film. But he has written a few and he's written all of like the Larry Sanders show and Freaks and Geeks, Undeclared, all this shit. He's slowly chipping away at just becoming a great story writer, which maybe Mm. is something Kev 
it's not story isn't Kev's strong suit. It's like vibe and dialogue are his strong suits. Mm, and this absolutely. is this is a story heavy movie, and yeah, I just don't think he's got the nuance to quite pull it off. God, I can't believe how seriously we're talking about it. <laughs> we can't help it. We love this man so much. I'm always gonna love this man. And I tell you what, like I rewatched Jersey Girl and I was so charmed by it still. And I think it's the so thing charming. that I don't know if I think I noticed it or clocked it for the first time proper watching it, Jersey Girl, where in his credits, he has like these special thanks that he, like, it's not just like, oh, thanks to these guys that did this one thing and thanks to these people that helped me out. He, like, has thank you to everybody that worked on the movie. Like, the credits have rolled. They've already been credited in the film. But then he's just like, oh, thank you to Ben Affleck. You know, you're my greatest friend and all that stuff. And I'm, like, <laughs> watching, like, oh, my God, no. I'm in my 30s and I'm feeling something seeing this <laughs> nice man caring about his fucking friends and stuff like that. And at one point he hit on that I think you really nailed is talking about like there's some actors that really zone in on this work mm. and the next movie he makes I think there's an actor that completely elevates Kev's work um, Rosario Dawson in Clerks mm. 2 such a great actor she's able to breathe something so I don't even know like sweet natural nice caring thoughtful into this kind of like ugly drop of sentimentality from our dear old friend Ken. Yeah, this is an odd, odd one, man. Because obviously, Jersey Girl was the swing away from the viewers' universe. Mm-hmm. It was met with a resounding clang because a thud. Yeah, if you it was will. a thud. People didn't like it. People were bummed out by mm-hmm. it. People also were like just piling on Affleck and Lopez at the time as mm-hmm. well so like that was just an easy dunk for people to make so he du- I believe even the film may have been recut a little bit to cut a little bit out of it their was, yeah. relationship drama in it and stuff it was, it was a tainted movie so annoying and then so he returns to the well for clerks 2 but this is i mean it's first of all it's the first clerks movie shot in color which is yeah. huge and uh it's, oh boy, man! It's an attempt at making a mainstream version of Clerks, you know, like mm-hmm. a big fucking studio comedy of Clerks. As you said, they get Rosario Dawson to basically be the lead. She's too good for this movie, dare I say it? She's like mm. uh, slumming it by being in that movie's uniform and having to fuck. Oh uh, man, Brian O'Halloran. <laughs> 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 oh boy, oh boy. Um you really hit something for me. It is the first Clerks movie in color and this film has fuck me dead, brother. <laughs> it's a color palette that is grimace purple yeah. and piss yellow, like fast food colors mm. that I you know, it, it makes sense. You're like, oh, it's the dreariness of fast food. It should feel like that. But then you watch it and you go, no, this aesthetic is just horrendous to be seeing in front of for nearly two hours. And it doesn't feel like the choice is thoughtful of making it that ugly color palette. Like, you can make something ugly and then make it feel beautiful. Like, and I think Kev could be capable of doing that but there's something about this that uh like i don't know i'll bet i'll tell you this there's this the moment towards the end of the movie like the very very end of the film where that 
piss yellow grimace purple color palette <laughs> desaturates we go back into black and white and we push in to the familiar shot of our two old buddies uh at the counter and it goes back to black and white and i was like far out this looks so beautiful <laughs> <laughs> this looks gorgeous it just was like this powerful denouement that just like it embraces the original's aesthetic and i felt so much nostalgia and mood from it i was like what are you doing man you could have just made this black and white but i guess it's his attempt at being a studio filmmaker a mainstream comedy filmmaker totally do you think you would have liked it more if it was a really nice-looking black-and-white film. I do think I would, because I think Jersey Girl goes so far for me because it's a good-looking movie. Like, it's Mm. shot by a guy who can paint with light beautifully. And then this guy, Kevin's usual DP, comes back for Clerks 2, who is uh, David Klein. Um, He mainly just does Kevin Smith stuff, except he also shot Deadwood the movie which is just something I can never I can never figure out how that's the same guy. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so crazy. But, I yeah, think, it's um, just, I don't know. What about you? How do you feel about this one? Because it's the middle of the Clerks franchise for a I long know, time. Man. It was the last Clerks. It was him going back to something that he knew he could do after the failure of Jersey Girl. Even in the credits, he talks shit on Jersey Girl in this. In his special thanks in the credits for Clerks 2, he shits on Jersey Girl. Does he? What does he say? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what he says exactly, but I... Does he just say sorry or something like that? I think he's... Kev will backflip on his own career so much. It's it's depressing. Just own it, man. It's not a bad movie. It's fine. Okay, so Clerks 2, 2006... um, how old am I in 2006? I'm maybe 18, I think. Yeah, I'm 18 years old. And uh, I remember being pumped for it. I remember going to see it in the cinema. And uh, I remember the gags mostly working for me because I was kind mm-hmm. of like, I guess I was kind of into that like dirty, dirty joke shit, like dirty for dirty's sake, you know? So I had like a relatively good memory of this movie, but I revisited it. When we were doing the, uh, you know, for these episodes that we've been mm-hmm. recording. And it's a bit too nasty for me in hindsight. Maybe I've just gotten older, but it feels mm-hmm. it feels mean. It's like yeah. a ruder. It's not even ruder. It's just like, I don't know. It's fucking nasty, dude. I don't know what to say. I would say that he kind of graduates from grubby to grotty. Like yeah, it's the grot. the whole like um, donkey show, or whatever yeah, man. that is. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man, that's that's stuff that you say on a schoolyard, like an urban legend. You don't put that in the freaking movie on a big screen with like one of the great actresses, Rosario Dawson, having to react to it and stuff. But I think um, the love stories kind of work for me a little bit in this one, and. I can't even remember the specific example, but one of the notes I wrote down while watching this movie is it might be Kevin's best integration of music as well, which I think is something that kind of... It's almost a skill that starts being less utilized in his later movies. Mm. Yeah, look, it's a... I, I, don't, I don't dislike it at all. I think it's all right. And I think um, I quite like the fast food setting i worked at hungry jacks when i was a teenager so i obviously can project a lot of my own experience Mm 
onto being a bored fucking clerk at a um, fast food outlet. I definitely also saw some filthy shit go down. I didn't see anyone suck off a donkey, but I did see like some grotty shit go down uh, at Hungry Jack's. And me and my, there was a kid that I worked with there, this kid called Joel. We would do the clothes shift. So we're like, you know, it's just the two of us. We're 15 and we're cleaning all the equipment, mopping the floors, locking the door and shit. And then we would, it was very similar to clerks. We would, go onto the roof of the Hungry Jacks mm. in Katara in Newcastle and, like, smoke a joint on the roof of Hungry Jacks and just, like, chat. And yeah. I, like, feel that. When I'm watching this movie, I feel nostalgia for that time in my life of just being, like, gross, covered in oil, I've worked all night, and I'm getting high on the roof of a Hungry Jacks in suburban Newcastle. It's so evocative, and I can see a lot mm. that I like in this movie. But, man, as soon as you brought up the donkey show, I remembered the reason I never really rewatch it. It's just fucking gross. <laughs> it's yeah. fucking it's, gross. It really is. And it's like <laughs> the, all the stuff that you said is so true. Like there's all these like feelings and emotions that like, Kev is like an expert at just getting to work, like tapping into that universal feeling of being stuck in a shit job. And the stakes of the rest of your life can have stakes because your career doesn't need them. So you can like, mm. you know, you've got your dreams that you can be wafting in and out of and your hopes. It's all about the hopes of maybe there's something cooler out there, but being stuck in the reality of fucking having to wipe someone else's shit off a toilet. <laughs> But I would say, if we're thinking about that idea of, like, the Apatow uh, versus Kevin Smith, these two kind of comedic modes, one is more dominant than the other, uh, the next movie Kevin makes is pretty much an embracing of that, even utilizing Apatovian cast members. <laughs> it is Zach and Miri make a porno. Yeah. I remember hearing Kevin famously sold this one just on the title alone. Yeah, so for context, for anyone who's interested, um, The 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in 2005, so that's a year before Clerks 2. So by the time Clerks 2 hits the cinema, really, Kev's style is out of vogue. The 40-Year-Old Virgin was such a huge fucking hit. It popped so hard, and Mm -hmm. then immediately, uh, you know, more Judd projects are coming through, Knocked Up and everything like that. Knocked Up comes out in 07. Seth Rogen is huge by this point. And uh, Kev really makes a swing here to kind of enter that world of the Seth Rogen, the Elizabeth Banks, uh, the, like, the players that Judd Apatow usually uses. And uh, you know what? It's like great cast. Mm. I watched this movie when we were filming Finding Yeezus. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't know you watched it. No. <laughs> I, watched, I watched this movie like halfway through production of us making Finding Yeezus. Uh, I needed some downtime and I went and watched mm-hmm. this movie and I got a lot out of it. I like it's it's better than I remember. Man, I rewatched it for this podcast and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic! I thought it was just so funny. I think he found the balance between the like the popular mode of comedy and the stuff from his heart really nicely. And I got to tell you this: the sex scene between Zach and Miri in mm. the porno, the titular scene of this movie, 
is maybe the best acting our dear old mate Kev has ever gotten out of any of his cast. There's Mm. this moment where Elizabeth Banks cradles Rogan's face as they're, like, fucking or, like, they're coming or whatever, and it's just so loving and so real. I actually think it's the best acting she's ever done. Like, he, her and Kev should have been teaming up, and he writes movies for her. Like, they're just... There's something about them. They work fantastically together, and Seth is, like, great. Like, he feels quite unguarded in it. But that moment... And then it keeps cutting back, and you're getting laughs from the other people watching this tender thing happen on screen... I think it's like that moment is the best shit Kevin's ever done. I think this movie might be my favorite of his. Um, and it does feel like it's like Apatow Light. He's stolen mm. a bit of the vibe. He's got some of the cast. And it's a big, broad comedy premise, very similar to The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which mm-hmm. feels like a sketch, a sketch premise. Like, what if two mm-hmm. friends had to make a porno in order to pay the rent? Great yep. elevator pitch. Could almost be an SNL sketch. That's how fucking broad it is. But mm-hmm. by adding like genuine romance to it, it's really good. I do think though, I do think it's still a little too juvenile uh, mm. to be a hundred percent success rate for me. Like it's um, you know, like the fucking and I love this guy, but the Justin Long cameo is like so I fucking funny. I like it too. I think it's funny, yes. I, I, I thought like he was him, great at it. I like him a lot. It's cool. I like him. He's so funny. But there's little moments like that and having Jason Muse appear in it that's like Oh man, this I think is Jason Mewes is the best he's ever been in this movie. <laughs> I think he's fantastic. Really? I think I think Muse is great in it. I think he's really funny as like the porn star, as another porn star in this movie, the big old penis. Um, I think he's really funny. Do you think, uh, how would you rank this compared to, let's compare it to its contemporaries, to the Judd mm-hmm. Apatow flicks that are coming out concurrently, and just to make it even harder for you, the Happy Madison movies that are kind of coming wow. out around the same time. Because these are the and three big And to make plays. it even more difficult, the best picture winners of this time too. <laughs> <laughs> Compare it to the piano or the pianist or whatever the fuck is out. Uh, <laughs> no, compare it to the comedy contemporaries, Apatow and mm-hmm. Happy Madison. Does this meet or match them? Does it exceed? Ah. Uh, well, I'm also trying to go... It's a bit of a, a time machine for me. And perhaps one that you use via hot tub. Uh, from Imagine the that. Uh, hot tub time machine. Craig Robinson is in both first movies. Craig Robinson, um, man. That's awesome. Because, <laughs> um, like, think a, that- a Happy Madison era around this time, yeah. we've got... This is, a, this is like 51st Dates, Longest Yard, uh, mm. Click... Chuck and Larry, the Zohan, you know, that's, that's okay. that kind of era. I would say they trumps all of those except for <laughs> Fifty First Dates because I think Fifty First Dates is so great, dude. You got to uh, rewatch Longest Yard. I'm not kidding. It's a oh, okay. It's- I will put it on the same level as Longest Yard, but I think the Apatow stuff. It's just so current and so uh, like it just hits on something quite just in that zeitgeist. Like it's mm. so du jour at the time that. I can't even put these in the same ballpark, but it sits right in between those, I'd say. Um, yeah, so like Apatow has just had knocked up and Funny People is still a year away. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the meantime, he's produced Pineapple Express, Dewey Cox, 
you don't mess with the Zohan and written all those. Super as well. bad. Super bad. Yeah, totally. Fuck, man. He's got some good shit around mm. that time. Forgetting Sarah <sighs> Marshall, Step Brothers. Fucking hell, man. It's a hell of a. Yeah, it's, a, it's hard to compete with Apatow around that time. Mm. He's just a force of nature. He just has completely captured the comedic imagination of the entire culture. Like, it's. It, it, to, at that point in time, it was hard to even think of. Uh, Apatow not being involved in a comedy in some way. He was and in most of them, man. It's when you he was involved in most of them. He was like he had his hand in all the Farrell and McKay stuff, all the Seth mm-hmm. Rogen shit, some Jim Carrey stuff. It's wild. He's like he's been everywhere. Um, and Kev, I think almost almost matches. It's not quite Apatow level, but it's yeah, mm. it's like fucking on par with Zohan, in my opinion. This one, it's on it's on par with like some of the other Happy Madison stuff. It's it's definitely better than like Grandma's Boy, European Gigolo. Yeah, fucking Ch- it's way better than Chuck and Larry. Way better, than Chuck and Larry <laughs> way better. I don't even say it's better than Click. Like Click, it's got those yeah, great like Click. heartstring moments where spoiler alert, big Click guy. fucking Fonzie dies. But it's like you know who cares? Like it's Click lives yeah, and dies I'm by one Click moment. Guy. That's sad. Yeah, no, Click stops. <laughs> it's not that good. I don't like but- it. People love Click. I- it's boring to me. Yeah, it's boring. It, like, it's got... Literally, the best part of it is fucking uh, Henry Winkler dies. Like, that, that's not... Yeah. He dies, like, off camera. It's sad as hell, but you're like, whatever. But I think Zach and Neary, it's just, like, the tone is right, brother. The sentimentality is great. The realism of, like, this being, like, the actual hard life that people do live and they resort to making the porno. It is funny. The porno is also charming. Uh, it works. It's funny. It's, like, it's like he takes away the grottiness of Clerks 2 as just a tiny bit of like that titillation of like the t- the title being a porno and they're just being like some nudity or whatever, but it's actually quite um, it's tasteful mm. and the the title lends itself to not feeling like it's tasteful, but I think it's a it's a tasteful little comedy. Yeah, you make a porno. Do you know it actually began as a uh, the original idea was it was going to be a sequel to Chasing Amy in the nineties mm. with um. Affleck and Jason Lee and Joey Lauren Adams and stuff. I mean, I kind of think, God, what a missed opportunity a little bit. But I'm I'm grateful that it exists in its current form because I think it might be my favorite Kev movie and it almost makes me wish that people took a chance on him and, and like, we could have seen a whole other side of the third act of his career if it if he went down this path a little more. And he sort of... You know, like, let's let him in and be, like, a, you know, tertiary director-writer for the Apatow universe. Yeah, Apatow, just fucking, can we go back? Let's hop in that hot tub time machine, Mm. brother, and go back to 08 and just go, Kev, we're going to let you write another movie. You can direct it if you want, but use my stock players. Chuck Jason Lee in there. Get Kenny Hotz to do a cameo like he does in freaking Zack and Mira make a porno. Love that. Love when Kenny's in that for a second. Do you know what's what's crazy is like um, around this time, I think it's around this time, David Wayne is also dipping his toe into mainstream Mm -hmm. studio comedy. I'm like, that's exciting too. Role Models comes out. Role Models could have been a Kevin Smith movie in another universe. Yeah. Like, why not? What happened? What's going on? And if you had to name that other universe, what would it be? 
I can't think of anything. I can't. Think of it's similar to our own, but slightly, slightly uh, different, a, a if slightly you will. Slightly adrift. Yeah. <laughs> a driftiverse. I like it. I'd watch that. Um, and then things take a different turn for Kev. He makes one things more movie in this period. For the strange. <laughs> yeah, he makes Cop Out, uh, which and... is a pastiche of buddy comedies. You got Bruce Willis, you got Tracy Morgan, and uh... yeah. So this was um, <laughs> this was really the last ditch attempt at mainstream filmmaking. Mm. Zach and Miri didn't make much money. Like it was, it it doubled its budget, but it wasn't a hit. You know, uh, especially compared to Knocked yeah. Up and stuff like that. It was considered a failure. This was really... I don't even think this was Kevin's idea. He didn't write the movie, you know? He, I no. think this might be his first director for hire job. And he he really, like, sucked on the teat of Warner Brothers or whoever it was and said, please let me have a crack at anything. I want a hit. I'm willing to work to make a hit for you. He makes this action comedy starring one of his heroes, Bruce Willis, and, mm-hmm. you know... Really, really attempts to make it good, and he's. It's not good. It's just. It's just. It's not. It's not good, Alexi. <laughs> well, the last thing that I was doing before we jumped on this podcast was rewatching Cop Out for the first time since it came out on like disc back in my video store era. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's not good, but it's. I didn't dislike it as much as I remembered just not being into it at all. I fired off a couple of good laughs, but they come kind of late in the game. It's just because Tracy is so funny. And it's just like, man, you get it's great to see a movie with Tracy as one of the starring roles mm. and like kind of the height of his powers as well. Like he's just really riffing on a great level. But it's like you said. It's not a script based. Kevin didn't write this script. I don't think he has the chops of Apatow when it comes to being an improv director. And then, apart from Tracy, I don't think his cast is up for being an improv-led film cast. Like the opening sequence of the movie is like basically unbearable where Tracy goes in to interrogate a suspect behind the one-way mirror and he's just doing all these different quotes from movies mm. like playing characters like going like you call me Mr. Tibbs and like doing a Scarface impression oh, basically it's like the Master of Disguise <laughs> where he's doing all these different <laughs> character voices and it keeps cutting back to Bruce Willis going like Yep, in the heat of the night. Mm, okay, and then he goes like uh, "Yippee Kaye, motherfucker," and then it cuts back to Bruce Willis. Goes, "I haven't seen that movie. I don't know what it is." And it's just mm. like, "Okay, this is how you're kicking this movie off," and it's just like nails on a chalkboard, basically. I love Tracy Morgan. Uh, big fan of his from SNL. Big fan of Thirty Rock. I love mm-hmm. him in supporting feature film roles. Um, I don't think he works as a lead i think he's too fucking wild and crazy and like you need small doses of tracy morgan i i think bruce is one of my favorite film stars i'm always happy Mm. to watch him i know kev had a hard time with him on this film and i'm sure a lot of that has to do with the um aphasia that he Mm. a late late in life diagnosis of um, he, you know, he wasn't having, he probably wasn't having a great time himself being on this set, you know, and he wasn't mm. enjoying being there. 
I still will watch him in pretty much anything. Uh, whenever people have shat on Bruce Willis' performances in the past, even with the diehard like follow-ups, mm. I can find something to like about them. I just like watching him. I like his fucking head. I like his big fucking chrome dome. I, I like his eyes. I like him, man. I don't know. I don't know what to say. He's got one of the great smiles that f- cameras ever been pointed at. Like, he's got endless amounts of charm. They had a really difficult working relationship making this movie where they basically did not get along whatsoever. It just didn't work. It didn't happen. It was a complete failure. And I remember that, like, the title of the film was a bit more satirical and a little mm-hmm. bit more Kevin because it was originally called A Couple of Dicks. Uh, and then I think it's like... This movie feels weirdly sanitized, but it's also because it's just like the Kevin Smith is a ferocious film lover. Like he has watched a lot of movies. The guy loves films, but that has never translated to anything more than reference. And I think for a film that is basically a genre pastiche, it's completely out of his wheelhouse. Like his skills doesn't don't work there. It feels like a movie that's referencing all these films, mm. but only verbally, and it's like not capturing any of the vibe or the feeling or the parody of those kind of movies that it's like attempting to be a love letter to. It's even starring fucking Bruce Willis, who is the guy that's in those movies that it's referencing. Yeah, so true. Whereas, like, uh, a a good example of a comedy director or a couple of comedy directors that can also ape the visual style that they're kind of parodying, Adam Mm. McKay is really great at that. Great at it. He can really do that. Akiva and Yorma from Lonely Island are, like, excellent at it. They're movies that are parodying a certain style look like them and they look fucking beautiful. I don't, I don't, yeah, Kev has what he does and what he does best is working with actors and feeding them funny words to say, but he's not the best visual filmmaker. So it doesn't really even make sense that he would make an action comedy. No, no, the action's not fun in it. There's barely any action in it. There are a few laughs. There's a great sequence with Susie Essman and uh, Sean William Scott that's like mm. a standoff between the, the the two leads and those characters, and it's very fun and funny. There's a few moments that are like, oh, wow, I had no idea that I'd laugh. I thought I would be like in agony watching this. But there's enough humor, great cast that kind of gets a lot of things over the line. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, like, I, I think I just love Kev, man. I'm at that age now yeah, where man. Kevin is speaking to me quite deeply again and just seeing his work is making me feel, ah, I don't know, just like, I love him. I love him. I, maybe by the third one I'll vocalize what I mean by that. Well, I mean, I'm in the same place as you. I've been re-watching all these Kev movies, having a really good time with them. At the same time... I've also been revisiting all the Apatow ones, and mm-hmm. you already know this, but the entire Adam Sandler chronology. The um, happies. From Billy onwards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm willing to forgive, like, dated comedy. I'm willing to forgive average performances. It's about vibe, and for the most mm. part, I've been satisfied with the vibe of everything that I've watched. I've I've made it through all of these middling, mid-career movies of Kev's. I've enjoyed them. 
Um, I've made it through them more than I've made it through some of the Sandler mid-career stuff. And I'm, you know, I'm, Sandler's my number one guy. So, mm. what does that tell you? I think even when Kev is at his most mediocre, there's still, it's still something there for me to enjoy. That's really nicely put. And I have to echo it all. And I would even just say, Zach and Miriam make a porno is a really tremendous watch. I think it's really nice. It's the really funny. Mark quite sweet and in this era in this phase i would even say the only two that kind of are in the same ballpark are clerks which is pure alchemy it's just a mm-hmm. clerks the original it's pure alchemy we said it last time it's so great and chasing yeah. amy it's of its era but it's really good and it pushed like the envelope in a really interesting and kind and interesting way zach and miri it's using a lot of those t- same tools as those films, but it's all in the aid of making something nice and funny and harmless and sweet. And I think it's really good. People should watch that. And the next phase that we'll talk about next time, we because I think yeah. we're always going to yeah. need to talk about Kevin. And uh, mm. he takes the biggest swing of his life. He goes from attempting to be like a, I guess, a studio comedy filmmaker or a mainstream comedy filmmaker he switches it up completely. He goes into a different tone. He goes completely mm. independent. and Independent horror. Yeah, with Red State. And for a moment, it felt like a complete industry switch up. This is an interesting phase, the next one. We'll get into it very deeply in the next episode. But you, we really do go on... Uh, a, a third act, a real third act mm. switch up for Kev here where he starts off at war with the industry and then I think by the end he makes some peace with his original, like with his beginnings and finds his way back to the quick stop. I'm excited to talk about it. Next time we talk about Kevin, we'll be going from Red State all the way up to Clerks 3. Uh, and I find it very mm. interesting that each of these phases that we're discussing in this trilogy of podcasts, they have a Clerks movie amongst them. Yeah, yeah. It's been a constant for his career, really, and for his uh, life. I mean, these characters have become sort of like amalgams of him at different stages of his life. So why wouldn't he revisit them again? And as we'll see with Clerks 3, it gets very literal. Very fucking very, literal. Very, very <laughs> literal. <laughs> Well, that's it. That'll be in the future. Until next time, Cameron, you are going to be down in Melbourne doing some live shows this weekend, right? Well, this whole week. Right. Yeah, I'll be in Melbourne. I'm at Comedy Republic every night from the 7th of November to the 10th of November. Um, I don't know if this will come out before Wednesday, but if it does, come to my trial show on Wednesday the 8th. I'll be doing all the new stuff that I've been working on for next year's shows. And uh, Saturday, the 11th, I'm doing another work-in-progress show at Basement Comedy. So come along to those. I'll put all that shit up on my Instagram. Man, I can't wait to see it. Cameron has been giving me a little skinny on what he's cooking up for next year, and it just sounds fucking awesome. Really, really cool. I can't wait to see it. Bless you. Bless you. Have you got anything you'd like to promote? Uh, or oh, coming soon towards the end of the month, uh, I got a new podcast. It is an audio documentary interview podcast. Fuck Basically, yes. 
where I am going through a bunch of the greats of Australian cinema. Each episode will be a different topic. I'll be talking to a lot of great, 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 great filmmakers. It's called Sunburnt Screens. Mm. Uh, and it's really cool. I've been making it. Uh, our friend, It's a great title. Yeah, our friend Alex J is producing it with me at the moment. Excellent. So we're cutting up all these great interviews with like Brian Trenchard-Smith, the Spearig brothers, Gillian uh, Armstrong, Rolf Dahir, all these people that like I've, you know, admired my whole life whose work I get to celebrate uh right now so it'll be yeah stay tuned i was putting the tease out there now but i'm really excited about it really proud of it i think it will be a great listen and a great way to introduce you to a bunch of great australian films so just put that on your radar it's out there soon dude i'm so excited to hear that that's so great i can't wait to get that shit in my ears good grief yeah through the ears into the veins brother Uh, we'll talk about Kev another time in the future, but uh, we've got that to discuss. We also have some other things to discuss before the year is up as well. Some other mm-hmm. little uh, rankings or potential mm-hmm. introductions to certain filmmakers or certain film stars <laughs> that we want to get yeah. to. I don't want to yeah, spoil absolutely. anything, but it's a little tease. We have some other shit coming up. So enjoy those. And until next time... Oh God! I was—I actually—I—I um, I was supposed to be here today with you doing a podcast. Yeah, I was. I too. was supposed to. I was supposed to I, be I here was, as well. I was put on this earth to do yeah. it. In fact, I was born to be here today. <laughs>